probably all know this, but haven't thought about it for some time. The word psychology is really a study of the soul. You know, it's interesting, if we're to go out on the street of nearly any significant uh, city across North America and ask a hundred people, if you have a serious psychological need, where will you go for help? Almost no one will say, the church. We've somehow abdicated the responsibility that's ours and left it to educated professionals who may or may not know God. And so I want to begin this morning by just reclaiming psychology for God and reclaiming the soul as the territory for the church. I'm going to unapologetically go after your soul this morning. Because in so doing, if we can reclaim the soul, we can affect generations in families, we can affect communities. The impact is huge. You also know this one, but I'll remind you again. There's a fair amount of confusion out there about what God is like. If you're to do surveys, as lots of organizations have done, and say, what, what is God like? You don't want to hear most of the answers. The images are pretty significant on one end or the other. One is he's the hairy thunderer of the heavens. You, you know this one. He's the one who's just up there waiting for you to mess up just once. And he throws the lightning bolt of judgment right at you. And the people around you will celebrate because, come on, you deserve it. Sometimes, he's the great cosmic muffin of the universe. And just loves everyone. I, I sense a group hug coming, don't you? There's, it's just that you can. there's always extra grace. Always. He's also your Father in Heaven, which is the right answer, but often no implication to what that means. And He's also the healer of your soul. So this morning, let's discover how God is the Father who heals your soul. Let's start in Psalm 103 if we can. We've read parts of it already. Let's go back and capture the imagery here. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my innermost parts. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Forgives all of your sins, heals all of your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, and satisfies your soul with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. When God heals your soul, it's time to receive all of the inheritance that's yours in Him. The psalm starts off with bless, praise, thank. Same word translated in different ways. From the innermost parts of our being, let's feel it deeply. Let's experience it at the very core of who we are. Let's say thanks to God from deep within. The psalmist uses an interesting word here. There are some seven different words used in the Bible for soul. This is a unique one. This one is throat. Now, thankfully, the people translating your Bibles didn't translate this one literally, or it would be no one's favorite psalm. Come on, think about it. It's not very poetic. Bless the Lord, O my throat. And this doesn't inspire you. Come on, it doesn't capture most of us. 
Bless the Lord, O my throat. It's an interesting one because the psalmist is trying to give us this picture of going to the innermost parts, the depths, the very core of his being. He used the word because for the ancients, the throat was the passageway through which all of life came and went. Air, food, drink, all came in through the throat. Even the deepest of human emotion comes out with what? A sigh. (sighs) Through the throat. It only takes two fingers, strategically placed, to take away air and someone's life. Not recommending it. Just saying it's possible. So the psalmist is painting a picture for us that from the deepest, deepest core of your being, it's time to give thanks to God. For what? He mentions the benefits. He forgives. Notice it's not your sins. He forgives you. Makes it very personal. He forgives you. He heals. Now I want you to notice here what the psalm says and what it doesn't say. He heals you. Now, let, let me take you back. For some of you, this is not a fun experience. But I want to take you back to when you were uh, clarifying English grammar. So sometime in, in a middle school or junior high. I'm going to use a word you haven't heard for a while. Let's look at the antecedent here. Some of you are going, oh no, I hated this part in school. He heals all of the diseases. What is the antecedent? Of your soul. Heals all of the diseases of your soul. We'll have tens of thousands of people will walk into church and walk out this weekend with no healing of the soul. The time when we get the most panicked and urgent in our lives, especially for connecting with God, is if we have some sort of medical issue. Something's wrong with our body. We often want God to heal us. He'll take care of that. But he's far more interested in healing your soul. That's what he wants to go after. And he redeems your life. He's bought it back. He crowns you with good stuff. It's so much better being in the Northeast than in the Midwest when you hit passages like this. Because in the Midwest, you just go, yeah, he crowns you with good stuff. But in the Northeast, you've got people from all sorts of places who keep that that accent from their language in Europe. And he crowns you with the goodest stuff. It just has so much more meaning, doesn't it, than just saying, eh, good stuff. No, it's far better than that. It's got texture and tone and emphasis to it. He crowns you with the bestest stuff. And he satisfies your desires. Not the kind that you want that will self-destruct. But the longings of your soul, it'll make such a difference in the kind of person you become. He satisfies us. I want to pick up on just one of these, the forgiveness part. Because forgiveness is the key to healing your soul. Almost two years ago now, somebody called and said, Martin, did you watch Oprah today? And I said, you know, I I didn't watch her today. Um, And they said, well, I assumed you would say that, so I I, uh, I taped it for you. I'll, uh, I'll send it. And so, since somebody had gone through 
the effort to do this, I thought, I'll, I'll watch Oprah. And it was quite intriguing to me because she had a whole series of people from the audience, primarily female, who were having uh, their stories told of all sorts of experiences of, of abuse and neglect and difficulties and challenges in all sorts of life. And at every turn, she would say to them, but you know you have to forgive. You know you have to forgive. If you don't forgive them, their hold stays with you. It's pulled over you, stays. Sitting there going, we will have on this weekend alone tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people will go into places of worship this weekend longing, longing for forgiveness and walk out without experiencing it. And as I listened to Oprah, I went, Oprah, you get this one. Oprah gets it. On this one, she actually gets it. If you don't release, you can't be released. You must release so there's no condemnation over you. And you must release it or release them so it no longer has a hold over you. It is release. Then the experience is to absolutely have it, the feeling come. And sometimes, come on, look over this audience. Turn around and look. Not a high feeler crowd here. I'm picking that up already. But God wants you to experience this. I learned this one a long time ago. I was doing a conference out in the, the uh, western provinces of Canada. And I'd had eight churches together for a long weekend. We'd had a great time. One of the, uh, the churches I went back to and spoke on Sunday, nice place, sanctuary, probably seat about 1,600 or so. Great bunch of people. And I said to the pastor, when it came to the Sunday evening service, I said, you, you still have a classic evening service, don't you? He said, we, we do. And I said, can, can I have it? He said, sure. So here's what I want to do. I've been with your people all weekend. Nice bunch of people, but my sense is they're not experiencing the depths of God's forgiveness. Western Canadians, not high feelers. Let's try it. Let's try this. He said, here's what service is going to look like. 20 minutes of good, solid worship. 20-minute message. 20 minutes of response. If there's only a few minutes of response, we go for early pizza. I like those nights. So the service went off just as planned. 20 minutes of great worship, 19 and a half minute sermon. I nailed it. We got ready for the response. We'd uh, talk to the elders and said, be ready to pray with people. Had some prayer teams ready. I simply said to the audience, tonight's your night. If I'm right, you need to experience the forgiveness of God. If this is not your night, it's a short response time. There will just be one invitation, one song. I'm not, there's no emotional pull here. It's just matter of fact. It's time to feel forgiven. Instruments hit their first note, and the center aisle filled. It was just the pastor and me standing right there, and I said to him, where are the elders? He said, they're third in line. <laughs> well, people saw they weren't going to get prayed for very quickly, and they started to bypass us. They went to the sides. They were 
sitting on the front row. They were kneeling in the front. They were lying on the floor. It got a little loud in there. It was uncomfortable. And the pastor turned to me and he said, Martin, I am very uncomfortable with this. I said, me, me too. Keep, keep praying. <laughs> and about ten minutes later, it, it, got, it got very uncomfortably loud. Some tears had turned to weeping, had turned to wailing. I don't know if you remember the last time you heard people wailing. It's described as sound gone grotesque. It's uncomfortable. And he turned to me again. He said, Martin, I am very uncomfortable with this. I said, you want to shut it down? He goes, no, I just want you to know how uncomfortable I am. I said, okay. We, we got a job to do here, buddy. We started something. We got to finish this. Keep, keep praying. Took us two hours and 20 minutes. No, uh, no early pizza that night. And as soon as we were done, he turned to me and goes, I want to see you in my office. And I thought, I'm back at junior high. Like, this used to happen to me all the time. I got called to the office. It was my single greatest area of gifting when I was young. We got in the office, sat down. He leaned back in his chair and propped his feet up on his desk. And he goes, tell me what just happened out there. So I was a little more right than I knew. Got a great bunch of people. They've never really experienced forgiveness of God. Until tonight. And he said, I did it to them, didn't I? Nah, come on. You're one of those people who make way too much about you, buddy. It started long before you. It's part of the culture. It's part of the families they've come from. It's a performance base that's every place around us. They probably went to other churches before they came to this one. They don't take all the responsibility. And there was a long pause, and he said, I need it too. And it was just as if it was on cue. There was a knock on the door. And it was one of the elders. And he said, can I do anything for you? And I said, go get another elder and get his wife. Come back. And we took the next 20 minutes and prayed him through this. Here's what's fun about this story. This is a church that for the last five years had been absolutely plateaued in its growth. I tracked it. In the next eight months, the attendance grew by 30%. And they baptized 65 adults. Preaching was the same. It was the people who were different. You could see it in their souls. You could see it. It was real. I don't know why I told you this, or I think it's just Canadians who go through this. Probably doesn't apply to anybody here, so sorry for taking up your time on that one. It's about experiencing the depths of God's forgiveness. The second part of this psalm talks about embracing his offer to you. It's one thing to know you've got the inheritance. It's another thing to embrace it and take it with you. Just look at how this passage unfolds. It's just a series of rapid statements about who God is and what he's like. In verse 6, he's on your side. In verse 8, he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. He abounds in love. He does not accuse you. He will not make you pay for your sins if you will repent. He does not treat us as we deserve. He loves us dramatically. He forgives us completely. He loves us dramatically. He forgives us completely. 
That's the imagery that he gives us here. But I don't want to leave it with that. Just listen. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed the transgressions from us. As a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear him. Now I want you to capture the imagery here. Please capture it. I'm going to do something no good speaker will ever do. I'm going to ask you to check out, go someplace else in your mind. I want you to go to the highest mountain peak you've either been to or you can picture in your mind. If you're a, a local regional person, you've got the uh, Catskills and the Adirondacks. If you like it out west, you've got spots in the Rockies like Pikes Peak or someplace else. If you're a little more exotic, you've got the Alps or Kilimanjaro. You go someplace. I want you to go to the highest mountain peak you can see and go stand there. Take a deep breath because the air could be a little thin depending on how high it is. I want you to look off to the east. Then I want you to turn and look to the west. For the ancients who were writing this psalm, they knew of no further description than this one. That's how far your Father has taken your sins away from you. And I want you to go one more place. Come down off the mountain. I want you to go to your favorite large body of water. And according to the prophet Micah, he's going to finish this picture for you. Go to the water. Come on, stick your toes in it. Feel the sea, the salt air in your face. Whether you hear the lap of the wave or whether they're crashing waves, hear them. You got your toes in the water. Look out there as far as you can see. The prophet Micah says he's taken all of our transgressions and buried them in the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. You would be a fool to keep them around. He's taken them from you. Don't ever, don't ever go back for them. You're released. You're released. Folks, that's, that's what it's like when He heals your soul. And it's your story. And the next chapter is just about to be written. Now that's a good stuff. That's good stuff. The psalm finishes up. It's time to embrace him as Father. His compassion we've already talked about. As he, as a Father has compassion upon his children, so God has compassion upon those who love him. He offers us his understanding. He offers us his love. The text is quite clear. But I'm going to stop you for just a minute. Because don't just make this about you. Please don't just make this about you. 
The last few verses of the psalm, listen. Verse 17, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is for those who fear Him, and His righteousness to their children's children. This is not just about you. Your father looks at you and he wants to bring a release and he wants to rewrite the old chapters and write some new ones. But he lifts his eyes up just above you. Because coming behind you is another generation. Whether the children that you have, the children you influence, the children of your extended family, the children of your community. God sees the next generation of the children. And he dreams a different future for them. It's about the children's children. Because he wants you to pass on to the next generation this kind of release, this kind of healing of the soul. It's his dream. So let's wrap this passage up. God offers you himself. Now stop. Stop. This amazing God of the universe offers you Himself. That's not a yawner, folks. That's not one that you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. He offers you Himself. He offers you His forgiveness. He heals your soul. He redeems you. He crowns you with the good stuff. And He satisfies the depths of your longing. He wants to be your father. And he wants, to rep- he wants you to represent him in families. Just before I got up to speak, I requested that we'd sing Heart of Worship. One of the things I do, I don't know if it's listed in the, the program or not, I run an organization called Global Leadership. We create mentoring networks for emerging young leaders in under-resourced parts of the world. In the mid-90s, we set one of these up in the UK. At the time, church attendance was incredibly low. We were able to tap into a group of talented young leaders. And we got started creating these mentoring networks and doing annual conferences to bring them in and create mentoring networks for them. Had a dramatic impact. One of the early leaders was a young guy named Matt Redmond. Heart of Worship was one of Matt's songs. Matt was in one of our mentoring networks. One time I was over speaking at the Soul Survivor, where Matt was worship leader. We'd had a great morning. Uh, Matt and the senior pastor, Mike Dolarchi, and I took off for the afternoon. We, uh, we spent the afternoon planning, praying, and stuff in, in a pub, just in the shadow of Windsor Castle. Um, lots of great Diet Coke and dessert. And uh, they said, Martin, you're speaking tonight. I said, you didn't tell me that. I, I got nothing. They said, you, you can preach. Come on. And I'd been reading Psalm 103, so I thought, oh, I'll preach Psalm 103. First time I'd done it. And I got up that night, and it was an interesting crowd. They meet in a warehouse district in the northwest side of London. The, uh, the underground London is still vibrant. And uh, the punk culture is still thriving, even now, but especially then. And they uh, use Sunday night to attract these uh, people from the punk crowd in underground London. That night, for some reason nobody knows, an incredibly large crowd showed up. So much so that uh, they had to tear down their food tables and their cappuccino tables and everything. I loved the place. It was an old warehouse they'd cleaned up. No pews, no chairs. Everybody just sat on the floor. 
a little tough when you're my age and have a shattered ankle. And uh, they gave me about this much room to sit, and then I just had to stand up and speak. And so I got up and did so. Look over this crowd of just unusual souls. And I was speaking Psalm 103. And I got to the part about as a father has compassion upon his children. And I looked at all these unusual people, and I thought, wow. I've never seen such lost, urchined souls in my life. Hundreds and hundreds of them. Look like waves of them in this warehouse. Hadn't planned on doing this, but I just paused and said, for some of you this passage is tough. Because your fathers and your parents didn't really have much compassion upon you. Matter of fact, they didn't do a great job. You know that. They know that. And my kids are just about the age of some of you. Hadn't thought through the implications. I just put out my arms. And I said, on behalf of your parents, will you forgive us? Will you release us? We wished we could have done a better job. We just didn't know how. I hadn't thought through what comes next, so I went back to the psalm. <laughs> Except from the back, you, you, you could hear. You could hear the emotion. You could see people leaning on each other. You, you could hear it, and you could feel it. And I thought, there's no sense in finishing this song. I just wrapped it up, and I turned to Matt, and I said, Matt, lead us in something. We're now going to pray for lots of people who want healing in their soul. And Matt stood up picked up his guitar and he said, I wrote a song this week and he started to sing Heart of Worship. It took us forever that night to pray for all of these unusual looking people. Um, the big spikes were still in. You had to be careful how you pray for these people. Those things could put your eye out. <laughs> it was an incredible night. And I walked away from that. First of all, thank you God. Secondly, going, this is too easy. It's too easy talking to them about this because they're the ones who've been hurt. I remember that night saying to God, if I get a chance to do this again, I want to speak to their parents. Because if the parents get this one right, it changes the children's children. It changes the generations. And so, yes, absolutely, God is interested in you. But he's also interested in those who come after you. And God wants you to get this one right. And so does the next generation. They want you. They want you to get this one right. So get it right. Let him heal. Let him heal your soul. Come on. Get the release. And let him heal your soul. Pray with me, please. Father, this is good stuff. And it's right in the text. Thank you for the images of you. Thank you. We now receive 
all of your forgiveness and all of your grace. And as we take communion together, may the release come. Amen.